want to okay. thank you for coming here. I want to thank you for doing this podcast with me. Um, my pleasure. You're by Lance. far one of the most interesting guys I know in Tokyo. And you I know a lot of interesting guys, I Lance. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I deserve that title, but anyway. And then and we have a lot. Of, yeah. I know your whole family. That's one thing. And I'm really appreciative of you being able to do this with me. Um, the thing I wanted to say, I thought about how would I, how would I speak to you at the very beginning? What would I do? Would I come to you and say, Mr. Pizza? Or Mr. Domino's, uh, because that's how you're known more yeah. than anything else. I mean, <laughs> we can start from there, because at the time when you brought over Domino's Pizza, that was not a big thing in Japan at all. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, that was not a big thing, and for you to be able to pull that off, and to have was probably one of the biggest money makers they had over the, the first one overseas, I believe. Um, the first successful one, yes. Well, well, tell yeah. me about it. What, tell me how that started. How did you? get involved with Domino's Pizza in the first place? What made you decide to bring pizza to Japan? Okay, well, you've just asked for a very long story. Well, I want a long story. Give it to me. <laughs> All right. Well, so I was doing the lumber business and medical device businesses. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they're all businesses with the United States going back and forth. And uh, nothing to do with my business, but I read this article in either Business Week or Forbes, actually both, about how this guy who did uh, home delivery pizza named Tom Monahan bought the Detroit Tigers for a record $53 million. This was in 1983. And I said, wow, you know, I never heard of this guy. I've never heard of Domino's Pizza. And he can buy a Major League Baseball team for $53 million. So that's, a, that's amazing. Um, and that day, I was going to have lunch with my father. And my father in the 1950s actually brought Major League Baseball teams to Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, after the war. And the last team he, he brought over with the Mainichi newspaper at that time was the Detroit Tigers in 1962 with Al Kaline, who was a big star back then. So he says, well, you know, I, I know the former owner, John Fetzer, if you want to meet him. And my sister was there at that lunch, and she had uh, taken over one of my father's businesses doing frozen pizza and chilled pizza, you know, manufacturing. So there was some interest there. Okay. Um, and I was just interested because of this baseball team. Merle was interested because she's doing pizza. And my father said, well, you know, I knew the, uh, the former owner. So the, the, the conclusion was, you know, when the next time I go to the States, he'll set up a meeting uh, uh, through the former owner and, and we'll meet with uh, Tom Monaghan. Mm -hmm. I was just curious. And uh, so they said, Tom said to meet them, uh, meet him at Tiger Stadium, middle of Detroit. Uh, I don't know how it is now, but Tiger's Day was not a great neighborhood to me. A little bit of a concern there. Uh, but, but you didn't know that. You didn't know that. Oh, once I went there, I knew this oh, was well, not the you, right place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you didn't know it prior to going No, there. I did not, actually. Okay, okay. And, okay. and so I was waiting there, uh, and uh, you know, I expected you know, him to come and pick me up with a car. While I was waiting, all of a sudden I saw this uh, helicopter with a Domino's logo mark come and land. And he says, uh, well, I'm going to take you to the head office, which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I said, wow, this dealer pizza is pretty interesting. You know, I started to get a little bit interested, you know. And we go to the head office, and there there's this, you know, um, he had the, well, actually, he was a collector of um, classic cars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he showed me his collection at the head office, 400 classic cars. For example, at that time, he had a Bugatti, which was worth $15 million. He had a couple of Duesenbergs, $2 million, 400 of these now. And he says, Ernie, I bought all this with the Domino's Pizza business. Wait, 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 now he's taking you to his, to his garage. Head, well, it's part of the head office. He had it at his head office, his collection. All 400 cars? Well, not all 400. They okay, wouldn't okay. all fit, but yeah. But, but he had, what, like he had cars a, you see in there? There's several hundred. It was pretty big. And he, well, he had a full-time staff just to maintain okay, that. Okay. All right. And then he also had a collection of Frank Lloyd Wright artifacts. He's the biggest collector in the world of Frank Lloyd Wright. Right. So he had, a, you know, Frank Wright windows, furniture, all those kind of things, mm -hmm. as well as a couple of Frank Wright houses around his head office that were reassembled for there. Right. He says, I got all this for the Donald's Pizza business, Ernie. So I said, wow, okay, helicopter, you know, classic cars, Frank Lloyd Wright. And he had a secret island, well, a private island, uh, and uh, golf course, and he didn't even play golf. He said, I got this private island through Donald's Pizza. And he had also some corporate jets, they all had the Donald's logo mm -hmm. mark, and he had a, a corporate yacht. So I said, this is uh, an interesting business, you know, this sounds really cool. 
But the, the biggest thing that attracted me was that I met his management team. So Tom himself was, I think, um, in his late 40s at that time. He was that young. Yeah, but his top management, the average age was like around 27. <laughs> yeah. But how old were you at this time? So I was in my early 30s. Early and I, 30s I, yeah, so whenever I did business, I was, most of the people are always older than me. Right. When I went to Donald's head office, they're all younger, younger than, than me. You. Yeah. And the other thing was, as they were growing, and they were really growing rapidly, it seemed like they're partying the whole time. I said, boy, this is a cool company to, to be with. You party and you grow and you're successful, and Tom gets all these things, you know. Uh, so it piqued my interest, uh, but particularly the fact that, you know, they're so young. Mm -hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, that year, they opened 1,000 stores, which was a record at that time for most number of stores open in one year. Now, when year was this? That was in 1983. 1983. Yeah. Now, were yeah. you married already? Yes, yes, I was. You already had married, but you, did you have your first child already, too? Uh, no. 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 You didn't have a child. You know, I, I actually, I take that back. This 1983. Um, I actually got married in 1988, uh, so it was actually before I got married. I was still single. You got married in 88. Yeah. You got married in 86, so I was married okay. two years prior to you. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I, so, yeah, I was single. Okay. That's why I could do such a crazy thing, actually. <laughs> yeah, and this is through an introduction from your father. Yes. Because he knew the guy. Okay. He knew uh, the guy. former owner. The former yes. owner. Okay. Yeah. He had already sold it? Yeah, the former owner was a guy by the name of John Fetzer, and okay. he owned like radio stations, TV stations. He was a, a very wealthy person mm -hmm. uh, in Detroit, mm -hmm. and that's why he owned the Detroit Tigers. And he didn't want to sell it, but Tom Onan was so persistent. And at that time, today, $53 million is not a, a lot, but at that time, it was a record mm -hmm. amount. Of course, yeah. Yeah, for, for a, mm -hmm. a baseball team. Mm -hmm. And of course, John Fetzer is quite old, so it's okay, sure. Mm -hmm. um, but. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, uh, when Tom went and showed me, you know, all of his, uh, you know, toys, so to speak, and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I met his management team, and all kind of cool and enjoying themselves, and, mm -hmm. and they break the record of a thousand stores in one year, amazing. So I said, I, I'd like to, you know, do something with this business. Um, and, and already back then, though, uh, in Japan, uh, McDonald's was a success, Kentucky right. Fried Chicken was a success. Right. So I thought, well, maybe Donald's uh, could be a success. Well, I came back to Japan, and you know, it was going to be a little bit of a, an investment for me. So I thought I'd do some market research. Okay. And I found out there were a couple pizza chains that are already here in Japan, and none of them were successful. Who, who, were, they, who were they? Uh, it was Shakey's and Pizza Hut. Shakey's had been here for a long time. Yeah. Pizza Hut? Was also here. It was here, yes. Yeah. Uh, just to give you uh, an idea, so Shakey's was being done by Mitsubishi and Kirin okay. Beer, okay. you know, two very yes. large companies. <laughs> yeah. Pizza Hut was Sumitomo Shoji and uh, Asahi Beer, they're affiliate companies. And they were not doing so well. And there's actually one other company called Pizza Inn, which is doing by, uh, done by Itoman, which is a mid-sized right. uh, right. Sogo Shosha. Mm -hmm. And so the common wisdom then was that um, hamburgers, you know, could be successful, and chicken obviously was, but pizza was not. Oh, and uh, I, you know, so I was a little bit disappointed because I thought, you know, it'd be cool to travel with these guys. I saw all of these things, and uh, you know, I wanted to be a p part of it and so on. But all of a sudden, you know, in Japan, pizza was, you know, really not not a thing. But your sister kind of gotten into the door too by But she was, so pizza was perceived as a snack, so she's selling a snack, these and, small and frozen pizzas, like right. coffee shops and so And she had so the little ovens that you could do them. Yes, so the it, was, it was a little bit pioneering at right, that time, right. but it was, a, it was not certainly it mainstream. Right. Okay. And, and I remember talking to her about it, because she, she obviously knew about the pizza market, so well, it's going to be tough to make a store just dedicated to pizza, <laughs> you know, and make it work, you know. She did the calculation. Fortunately, I wasn't so good at the calculation, you know, because I was thinking about all these things at, in Harvard. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, you know, she said, I don't know her. You know, because that's a lot so of pizza to sell. You, right? Well, to she wasn't discouraged. She was just trying to be very cautious. Give me a reality right, check right, on this right. thing, you know, because obviously, I, you know, I was hyped up about, you know, all that I saw in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, when I, in this market research, I said, well, the thing is that Japanese people just don't like pizza. They don't like the taste. So that's kind of like a downer, right? They don't like the taste. I said, well, you know, what is the uh, research behind that? And they actually have statistics. The average per capita consumption of natural cheese in Japan on an annual basis was less than one kilogram. 
And if you don't like natural cheese, you don't like pizza. In the U.S., it's like around 11, 12 kilograms. So that shows the difference. In some places in Europe, it's like 21 kilograms. Mm -hmm. And so, actually, in Asia in general, cheese was not a big thing. Dairy products. Right? Yeah. Dairy. So that was one thing. And they also said, well, even then, it's interesting. Today, Italian food is like everywhere. But Italian food was not very popular then. Mm -hmm. It said, you know, tomato sauce, you know, it tastes a little kind of sour. And so that was, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's the reason why, you know, the existing chains were not successful. But the difference between Shakey's and Pizza was that Domino's was a delivery concept. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, okay, so the Japanese don't like pizza, but this is delivery pizza. Uh, you know, will that make a difference? Well, in the market research, which is, of course, a no-brainer, said, oh, Ernie, you know, we had a thing traditionally called demai. We deliver sushi. We deliver, you know, bowl of noodles. We deliver everything. So if you deliver pizza, it's no big deal. Right. In the States, outside of like New York or Philadelphia, actually delivery pizza was quite unique, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's why Donald's became a, a, a nationwide chain and so successful. This is something you call up and you get a, a pizza, you right. know. In Japan, everyone, you know, was doing that. So this is it's no big deal. So, you know, the Japanese don't like pizza and delivery is no big deal. So those are two, <laughs> two pretty big strikes against this concept of Domino's. But then I thought about all those things I saw in Ann Arbor. I said, well, okay. You <laughs> know, that was your driving force. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's why I said I didn't do the calculation. You, you, know? didn't, you didn't do it. You just yeah. saw all the goodies. Yeah. Okay. I said, yeah, semi, I got to make this work. And uh, so the thing is, what they did say, say was true, actually. That was all correct. You know, uh, but when you do market research, it talks about the past and not about the future. Mm -hmm. And... I, I was thinking that, you know, well, people's eating habits are changing, you know, and, I, and at that time there are a couple consumer trends that look like it would favor, uh, first of all, delivery. There was home entertainment becoming a big thing. Back then it was like um, videos, you know. Right, yeah, all the uh, videos, yeah. We didn't have Netflix. But it was between the beta and the VHS. Yes, and there was, was CDs, so right. people were spending more time at home rather than going That's out. Right. And uh, actually, you know, um, Women were working in the workforce, even though they didn't have like full-time jobs or, you know, uh, maybe they couldn't get higher positions, over 50% of the women were already working, which meant that they didn't have time to do shopping or to do cooking. Mm -hmm. And that trend was already in the United States. So, you know, my whole thing was, you know, is this going to work or not, was to look and see what trends are occurring in the U.S. and see if those would happen in, in Japan. The one good thing about Japan is, normally speaking, you don't need a crystal ball to figure out the future. You kind of look at a lot of the trends, not all of them, but uh, uh, happen in the U.S. first, and then mm -hmm. eventually they happen in Japan. So I thought, well, there is kind of a, a lifestyle change here. But um, this, uh, you know, not liking pizza might be an issue. So <laughs> uh, I realized that we had to kind of change the profile of the, the cheese taste to be a little bit more buttery. And because my sister had been selling pizza, she had kind of adjusted mm -hmm. uh, for the taste of the Japanese. Oh, so I, I had some idea. But then I had to kind of go beyond that. And uh, I thought, well, I should come up with toppings the Japanese could understand, like squid or teriyaki chicken or you know, eggplant. And I remember when I proposed that to Domino's, I said, no, Ernie, you're crazy. You, know? you can't make a pizza that way. Yeah, right. and what is, that's not a pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a pizza, right? You know, it's got to be pepperoni time sauce. Actually, Domino's had 12 toppings. Period, yeah. Period, and one drink. So this is why we're successful. We keep it simple, you know, no squid, you know, no shrimp, no teriyaki chicken, none of that stuff, you know. That's why you're franchising from us. Say, yeah, you know, but uh, in Japan's different, you know, they don't like pizza. <laughs> we we got to come with something that they're familiar with and, you know, kind of, you know, ease them into eating pizza, you know. I mean, like these big companies are doing it, they're not so successful. Anyway, uh, with a franchising business, that becomes an issue. You know, although I'm joking about it, actually, they're very strict on, on maintaining standards and mm -hmm. keeping everything consistent, you know. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, you have to think global and act local. And I'll tell you, you know, the other chains are, are you know, doing the same thing as U.S., and I think that's part of the reason why they're not so successful. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to localize this thing. And um, that was, a, that was a, actually a big issue. Uh, um, but I said, you know, we just have to do this. And the, the, the other thing um, that, that was an issue is, I said, you know, everyone delivered. Demai is, is a traditional thing. So then my other strategy was, if I did bring down with Japan, how do I differentiate ourselves from the Demai concept? 
And you know, Japan, service is second to none in the restaurant business, and it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. But in the demai segment, that's the one segment where, you know, they say, okay, oh, come somewhere, the customer is God here. But mm -hmm. the one segment where they're not God is the demai segment. You know, now, demai means what? The deliver means delivery. Delivery, demai. So, yes. Demai. Demai, yeah. So if you order a bowl of noodles, most, okay. most demai stores, what, the, what it is is they have, they have a, a customers come to the restaurant. Right, right. And they also do delivery, kind of like mm -hmm. on the side. Right. So the customers get first priority to the guys that are in the restaurant. Because if you're slow or whatever, they, they yell and scream at you and say, you, you, you give them the, the, the priority. So the guy that, that asks for you know, delivery or demai is already a second-class citizen in terms of uh, gotcha. customer because yeah. you know, they're far away. So you know, sometimes you ask for it, it could be an hour. <laughs> then you call up and they say, you know, oh, you know, we, we, we just left or right. whatever. Yeah. You know, it gets there cold. But then the customer got used to the fact that because it's delivery, it's going to be late, it's going to be not the best, and so on. So this is the one segment of the restaurant industry which was really, uh, in, in a way, underserved. Mm -hmm. The whole thing about Domino's was that they guaranteed 30-minute delivery. At the beginning, you sure did. Yeah, right. and it, it's hot, right? That's right. right. And so, um, and the thing is, you can't have it right out of the oven. It's too hot, actually. You burn your tongue. Mm -hmm. So the whole point was, by the time you deliver, it was the right temperature. Mm -hmm. And uh, the what most people don't realize is how we develop the delivery area is that everything's done by time. From the time you took the order by phone, you, you made the pizza in two minutes, and it was a, a, a six-minute uh, oven time, so it was eight minutes. Then it would leave the store around 10 minutes to 12 minutes. And our delivery area is defined by a time zone, actually. Uh, so at the busiest time, you know, the furthest place you could deliver was within seven minutes. Okay. So you still had time before 30 minutes. So, so the point is that you know, it's quite hot by the time you deliver, because we're looking actually at you know, seven to nine minute kind of uh, uh, delivery times after it's, uh, the pizza's made out of the oven. And uh, so that's uh, one of the things which, of course, I kept from the US. Uh, uh, you know, this is, I didn't change everything. So there's, you know, the part of the reason why Domino's is so successful, they had this great Mm -hmm. operations, uh, a great kind of system, and I maintain that in Japan. The reverse, actually, for my people, is a 30-minute delivery. You know, it's not like the U.S., you know, th there's no street names, you don't know where, where you are, you get lost, and how can we maintain there's 30 no minutes? GPS at that time. No GPS. That's right. Uh, but, you see, the thing about think global and act local was important to know what, why was it so important, uh, why was it so successful in the U.S.? that you should not adapt for Japan. And then what do you have to adapt for Japan? You have to understand both. It's not just adapting completely for Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the phrase, think global, act local, existed. But my own take on that, but don't go too native. Uh, uh, don't, go go, don't go too native. You can over-adapt. Okay. Or you can adapt the wrong things. Right. And then uh, you impede your growth. And then there's no point right. In, right. in tying up with a U.S. company in that case, right? You <laughs> just your own original concept. Right, right, and there's a reason why Donald's was so successful. You know, it has to do with systems, it has to do with concepts, it has to do with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But where you localize actually is where you touch the consumer, that's in product development or in marketing and so on. You know, that, that is a distinction. Mm -hmm. But you can overdo it. So I didn't want to change the systems, they operate, that's why they're successful. That's why I paid them royalty. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's making that decision. You know, there's no manual on localization. And so you kind of have to have a sense of that. They've but adopted that now. They've had to, or they? Well, is uh, it, are you still, is Domino's, I know you sold the company. Yes. Is it still under the franchise? It's still a franchise business for Correct. US? Yes, it so is. So they're still obligated to certain things, because I noticed you changed yes. one other thing that was changed. No more 30 minute deliveries. You told Correct. me because too many accidents. Not here in the US. It wasn't because of here? No. No. I thought I thought you said this no, no, no. no, 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 no. The U.S. had too many accidents, so they changed the policy. Yeah. Well, so. Oh, that's interesting. The, yeah. Because they're here. Well, so, well, I'll tell you that. So, when I started this thing, we really grew, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so did, so did a lot of our competition. All of a sudden, we had everybody and the brother following us and and doing the same thing, mm -hmm. but they did not have the system that I just mentioned of how to deliver in thirty minutes. So they would make the pizza very slow, and then they would speed to get it within 30 minutes. And also, they didn't have this time zone. See, we didn't go by 
distance, and so we went by time zone. So, so you know, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we actually delivered in a very tight area, so it didn't require speeding. And also there was no penalty if, if the driver was late. The, 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 so we were okay, but unfortunately a lot of our competition was, was doing it the wrong way. And so they had a lot of accidents. Okay. And, and, but we're the most high profile company. So we would get claims from people that your driver is quick, we didn't even have a store there. But because Domino's was the predominant brand, everyone it's thought that, close. yes, it was, it was us. And so I was concerned about that. So I actually developed an industry-wide organization tying up with the police department to train uh, our drivers as well as the drivers of the industry and I became the chairman of this uh, uh, industry organization. And it's the first time the police department ever dealt with the private sector. I remember when I first went to them, you know, they said, Ernie, we, we, we cannot, you know, work with the private sector, you know, we're the police department. And I said, okay, I get it. I said, but you know, my understanding is that the biggest concern, or one of the biggest concerns uh, for the police department is the number of traffic accidents and deaths. And given that, there's two areas that are, uh, the two categories of people that cause the most deaths and accidents, the very old and the very young. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we have nothing to do with the very old, but the very young, they work in our stores. So I said, you know, if you, you, know, if you say, okay, we're gonna do a safety driving uh, uh, lesson or a contest, no one's gonna show up. You know, say Madonna concert, maybe they show up. But I said, if they work in the stores and you work with us, we will make sure that they, 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 they will be trained by professionals, by the police department and on safety driving, you can lecture them. Because this is one of the, one of the most important things for the police department was the traffic accidents. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I said, yeah, you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. Because that was one of their initiatives. How do we reduce traffic accidents? And they took you on. So, so we, we actually, I actually got um, awarded by, at that time, Prime Minister Hashimoto for putting this organization together. Uh, and it was the first time uh, uh, that um, the police actually worked with the private sector uh, uh, initiative. And I made, it, made sure that it was for the whole industry, mm -hmm. but it was not an industry organization. It was an industry organization only for safety driving. I didn't want to dilute the fact. You know, you have a lot of like, this association for say, you know, uh, I don't know, a certain industry. But I wanted to make this uh, an association only for safety driving, to concentrate on that. But only scooters, of course. Uh, so, uh, yes. And, and uh, so, because by then we had, you know, uh, delivery, uh, bento, see what happened is, they might existed, but then we made it systematic, and we started using these unique scooters, because it was another kind of differentiating point for other demise. But everyone started to go to our system, including the Bento and all these other people, Sushi and so on. So I didn't use the word demai, by the way. Another point of difference, I didn't want to call it demai because there was then a preconception by the consumer that we're just like the soba guys. So I used the word takahai, which means delivery. And so I, I came up with it. So it's not called takahai. Everyone calls it takahai pizza or takahai this and that. But the point is it was a systematic way of delivery. And all of them uh, joined this uh, safety organ driving organization. And, and so it's... It's nationwide, it's, you know, you're talking about tens of thousands of uh, uh, drivers, and they're all being trained, and, and we did this in conjunction with, with the police department. Do they continue that? Is it oh, yes, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a very vibrant thing, it's very critical. You know, you should get them to do that with these new cab drivers. Ah, cab drivers. Tell me, these guys yeah. are driving us nuts. Yeah. They're causing a lot of havoc. They're not like they were during the bubble time. Well, they? that's because they deregulated it. I know. And, uh, sure and, they, uh, and all these, re these guys that lost their jobs just yeah. became cab drivers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, except uh, we have our hands full. Because yeah. I'm still part of that organization, because I founded like it. But, uh, you know, but this was uh, uh, an, an important initiative because we were growing so quickly, but so was the industry. Mm -hmm. And so if we didn't have something like that, you know, then the, the negative side of, uh, you know, delivery pizza or delivery in general uh, would become an issue. And so mm -hmm. um, fortunately, we're, we're able to develop, deliver that. So to your point, uh, we did not have an issue with it. But what happened is there was a, a, a by Donald, a major accident in the United States. And uh, a, a, as a result of that, and, uh, uh, they decided to stop the 30-minute guarantee, and accordingly, they asked us to stop okay. the 30-minute guarantee. I thought that was here. I really no. thought so that. well, that's all I knew. It was just yeah. So we, uh, well, you know, so they're the franchisor, and, and we, we followed their directive. Mm -hmm. um, 
But that was it. That was it. They didn't do what we did. You know, I always felt that that was important to have something about safety uh, driving and training. In the U.S., they did not. And you, I'm sure you approached them with it and told them. Well, I told them what we're doing here, but uh, you know, they didn't think it was as necessary there. And uh, and there, of course, they didn't use scooters; they used cars. And you know, everyone, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they. Uh, they drove their own cars, mm-hmm. uh, that's and, right, that's so right. um, and they got what they call mileage. In our case, because we couldn't do that same model, we have to provide all the scooters, mm-hmm. and, and we, we had to take more responsibility for our drivers. And, mm-hmm. and uh, anyway, the, the the point was that you know I, I developed this uh, safety driving association for that very point mm-hmm. to to avoid what happened in the United States mm-hmm. actually. And accordingly, though, I had to stop the thirty minute guarantee when they had an issue. So. How long did you keep Domino's Pizza? How long was it under you? Oh, uh, gosh. How many years? Let's see. Good question. Two decades? Uh, Almost. Yeah, more than two decades. Yeah. 25 years, maybe. Yeah. yeah something like that. Because yeah. I remember the last time we went out, Louis Bigdon was telling you, a good friend yeah. of us, yeah. tobacco man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cigar guy. Right, the car yeah. guy. How you had, yeah. it was like, not a fan base, like a mob base. Your your your, your employees. Ah uh, yes. Your fan yeah. base was just phenomenal. He said he went <laughs> to he went to one event you had where <laughs> all of your employees were there, and when you walked in, they picked you up, and uh, he said he had to step back because they uh, just they mobbed you. He said it was scary for him. He yeah. had to, he had to drag. When he had to take you one time and well, protect you one time. Okay, well, so yeah. let, let, let me explain that a little bit. It could be misinterpreted. Uh, so. Um, this is the 1980s, and uh, so several things were happening in the 1980s. It was a bubble economy, so whatever business you did, it yeah. went up. That's right. And then the restaurant industry was the growth industry again. I actually thought I was a genius uh, last time. Everyone was doing well in the 1980s, and, I realized, and then everyone we went, right? yeah, so you know, it was no big deal. Yeah, then all of a sudden I realized I wasn't a Yeah, I became very real quick. Yeah, but the thing was, so during the 80s, when we opened the Dama stores, we were making money right away. It was, it was phenomenal. Our biggest barrier to growth was people, both part-timers and full-time employees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we couldn't, you know, we advertised and everybody could not get enough people. And the restaurant industry, or part of the service industry, were considered what they call 3K. Uh, you know, kitsui, kitanai, and, and kiken. And so, and, and that's like, you know, kiss of death kind of industry. You know, it wasn't a bank, it wasn't, you know, one of these other kind of companies. So it was tough getting people. I'm talking not the best and brightest, just warm bodies. We just needed people. If we got people, we could open more stores. And it was a, a slam dunk thing. And I owned and operated all the stores, I didn't franchise it. So, you know, I, 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 the whole point was how can I get people? And uh, one of the things, you know, we had, you know, I don't know, seven, eight thousand. Uh, other buyers of part-timers working for us. And I thought, yes, we went up to about 8,000. But anyway, so I had a lot of, you know, we we were always trying to get uh, part-timers. So I got this idea, and this is in the 80s again. So discos were the hot things back then. (laughs) That's what just happened. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) I said, well, listen, you know, it'd be cool if I held a disco party for part-timers. Uh, and to the ho- and the hottest discos, which they could only hear about, and never go. You know, like Valfari, right. right. Juliana, right. all these. Yeah, right. And I would rent it out, and have a party for what we call the crew convention, for these part timers. And uh, so that means we'd have like a thousand at a time, for example. And and we would do it in several sessions, daytime, no alcohol, of course, uh, with that many people. And they're all young. Uh, but we would really make it a cool place, uh, and the venues are already, you know, kind of hot. And we would do all this kind of uh, motivational things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the idea here was number one, uh, enhance uh, retention because you know you had turnover. Then that's one thing. The other thing was to make them feel that they're working more than just a, uh, for a part-time job, mm-hmm. but for yeah, well, this company, and you know, we have a corporate culture. But the other thing is, if we're very successful, they might even become full-time employee. And so there was this, and you know, as I said, I mean, the whole point was if we had people, we could open more stores. That was our biggest barrier to growth. So I spent a lot of money on uh, on these um, crew conventions, which was in these discos. So I took Lewis to one of them. See, and, and it, it, it comes a little bit. Uh, 
kind of cultish because you kind of have, you know, yeah, we, we, you know, we had like entertainers come, you know, we do all these speeches, right. you know, we have presentations. And, and you have food and everything else. Yes, like all, all that oh, stuff, except, except for alcohol, but yeah, yeah everything's free. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of hype and a lot of things going on. So um, Lewis saw some of that. I won't go into the details, but yes, it was, it was a, a, um, a thing that we did. And uh, which made us very unique. Uh, actually, though, you know, on that point about getting enough people, someone told me if you have a formula team, you know, you can get a lot of people. And a formula I, I, team meaning what? A formula, formula race. Okay, a formula uh, race team. Okay, right. Yeah, and uh, not a Formula One because that's global and that's expensive. But back then, a Formula Three thousand, Formula Three, was was uh, was in Japan. Uh, still expensive, by the way. Uh, so I had. Three form, I had three uh, race teams, including a formula team and race queens and all that. You had? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I spent all this money, and it didn't help us, by the way. They were all wrong. So after one year, I quit. With Domino's as the... Yeah, I, well, I was a sponsor. It was my team. Yeah. Okay. And, and you can't just have that team. You also had to have an advertising firm to help promote it. So right. it, it was, it, you know, it's millions of dollars for this thing. But as I said, if we're able to get people, we could make money. So I spent time and effort and money on how we can get more people, actually, back then. Part of this disco thing, but that wasn't the whole thing. We had to kind of you know, go way beyond that. Um, when that didn't work, that's when I said, okay, the, the number one destination for all Japanese is Hawaii. So if I bought Domino's Hawaii and I started exchange programs, then I could get people to come here so you can go to Hawaii maybe. You know, it's like a lottery. You know, not everybody can go. At that time, it was up to 9,000 people. And so I bought Hawaii. And I figured Hawaii's a small market. But I, I bought Hawaii from uh, Tom Monaghan because it, it was originally a, a corporate. How many uh, stores did they make? They had about, I don't know, 30. On how many islands? Uh, on most of the islands. Okay. Yeah. There was a total of 30 stores about? 30 some stores, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I figured I just need to break even there. And, uh, but the main thing was, of course, Japan, the Japanese market. And that ended up being actually uh, a big attraction because although we were part of the 3K kind of industry, within the 3K, we were more attractive for if, if someone's going to join the restaurant industry. And then, of course, we did these you know, disco conventions, so we did all these things. And in Hawaii, you know. Right. So the formula team didn't work, but Hawaii did. And uh, so um, that was kind of driving us in terms of uh, people. So, the, so, you know, crew convention was part of this thing, but it was really all about recruiting. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was an interesting time because, as I said, you know, during the bubble era, you know, everything went up. And, and so we were, we were doubling, you know, every year. And, uh, you know, what that means is, like, your accounting systems fall apart because, you know, you can't keep up. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> I remember originally I, I had this person who, uh, by hand, you know, salary calculator. But when we got to several thousand, <laughs> we had to go computerize and do a lot of things. But I remember the accounting, you know, because you couldn't keep up. So I finally said, listen, how much cash is coming to our bank and how much is leaving? I just want to know this. <laughs> you know, let's keep it up. When accounting gets done, when the P&L gets yeah. fine, but you know, I can't wait for that. You know, I got to know what's going on. But anyway, you know, it was a, a unusual growth back then. But it, and we, you know, obviously it's a very uh, labor-intensive business. So, you know, also we Did had... You get, you, of course you got married during that time, too, while you had Domino's. Yes, eventually I got married. Wait, number wait, you had your surgical implants. You yeah. had the lumber company. Do you yeah. st are you still doing those two? No, I sold the lumber business as well as the, the medical so business. Medical, yeah. Okay, medical business. Yeah. So you have now, because you changed from one 3K business to another one. Yeah. You brought, Wendy's had been here twice, right? Right. And, and, and you brought okay. in the third time. Yes. With Frogwell Burgers. Uh, yeah, that, that's a whole <laughs> nother story. <laughs> so whole nother story. And then you bought First Kitchen as well. Well, yeah, so. So, wait, so wait, okay, so Domino's, you sold Domino's. Yeah. And then you, you were not involved in 3K business for a while. Yes. How long was that? that you so were? I was involved, uh, it was another business I had, which is importing uh, food products for the institutional trade. So I sell to all the major chains, restaurant chains, convenience stores, and food manufacturers. You still do that? Yeah, I still okay, have okay. it. And so I was doing that. All right. um, so that's always been like a state. Yeah, one of the things that I, I kept. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you do that through, yeah. through Higa Industries. Correct. Yeah. And then 
you just what made you decide to go for Wendy's? Now Wendy's is something that I remember uh, from the yes. bubble time. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was always good. The the chocolate milkshakes they had, yeah. the fro frosties. They had the yes. chocolate frosty and the square burgers. It was it had a different taste than McDonald's for sure. But it didn't work. It didn't. But it was yeah. good. Yeah, it was really really good. It was right there yeah. in Abisu, the one they right. had in Abisu. And right down the street from Kentucky was there. McDonald's yeah. wasn't in Abisu yeah. at all. Now only thing that's there now is McDonald's. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I definitely so know that. What made you yeah. decide to go to Wendy's? Okay, so all these stories are being long stories, uh, but uh, um, so I got a call from the American Embassy. They said, "Ernie, the Wendy's people want to come back for a third time. Yeah, are you interested?" I said, "No way, Jose." Wait, just a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So the embassy, the embassy calls you up. Yeah, yeah. Because then you, I did Domino's. Yeah, from the commercial department. Okay. All right. Yeah. They said, hey, we have this hot deal for you. Well, no, these, you know when these people were here, they wanted to meet some people. And you, know. you said, of course, of course, they couldn't. Do and I said, first of all, no, I'm not going to do it. But I said, I wouldn't mind meeting them, give them free advice, because I have some experience, but I'm not going to do it. They said, oh, fine. And so we just meet with them, because they're there. I said, okay. So I, I met with them, and so I said, oh, you know, I did Domino's, explained to them, by the way, adaptation. I said, you know, one of the things you have to do is maybe adapt when it's a little bit more for the Japanese market. I said, yeah, we agree with you, and so on. I said, so you want to do it? I said, no, I don't want to do it. I said, are you free for dinner? I said, yeah, I'm free for dinner. Yeah. So well, let's have dinner. I said, okay. So you know, we're having dinner. I said, do you want to do it? Are these or just people coming? Just Th these were fillers. the executives from Wendy's. Okay, just fillers. Okay, just fillers. Yeah. What's out there? The head of uh, international, actually. Who, who owns Wendy's in the U.S.? It's a public company. It's a public company? Yes. It's a $9 billion uh, company traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Based in the U.S. where? In Ohio. In Ohio. Well, actually, in Dublin, Ohio. In Dublin, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, it was a big company. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, so the head of international was here. and. So we're having dinner, and he says, do you want to do it? I said, no, I don't want to do it, because I, I, I knew the history of Wendy's. It did not do well with a, a big company like Daiye. And then the second time with Zensho, which is today the largest restaurant operator in Japan. Uh, so, you know, if those guys can't do it, you know, I, I <laughs> said, you know, I don't think I can do it. But anyway, I was having uh, some vodka tonics. And then the third vodka tonic I drank, I started saying, you know, <laughs> maybe this is interesting. You know, I mean, as an entrepreneur, by the way, one of the things is uh, you have several faults as an entrepreneur. Human, one is you're an optimist. The other is you kind of like challenges. You know, because if you don't like those two things, if you're not an optimist and you don't like challenges, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. But so all this time, they're constantly feeding you how it'd be so good for you to bring it back and how much support they're going to give you when you set it up. Oh, oh yeah, you, yes. Yeah. And, and they say, oh, we agree with you, you should adapt when you need to adapt for Japan, all the things that, you yeah, said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it was the third vodka tonic that convinced me, not, not what they're telling me. I said, oh, you know, this is very interesting, you know, yeah, maybe I, I should do this thing, you know. And so, um, so, I, it was not my, I really, I really did not, I mean, you know, it didn't work twice with these large companies. It's not going to, you know, work a third time, I thought. And, uh, you know, I, I knew the reasons why it didn't work. Yeah, I said McDonald's. McDonald's is like 76% market share of the hamburger segment, right? And that's like a monopoly. <laughs> Number two is Moss Burger with 10%, you know. Who, who, you know the story of Moss Burger? Uh, How it's, you, you know what they did. When I first came to uh, Japan, uh, they had vending machines uh, and they were selling hamburgers. Now, all I knew was McDonald's and uh, Moss Burgers had Mac Burger. Uh, I the see. big M, the arch, yeah. A, C, and then it said Burger. So I thought it was McDonald's. Uh, Put my coin in the vending machine, uh, took the hamburger out. I don't know what kind of meat they used, but it yeah. was not beef. Yeah, it's part <laughs> it pork, pork, actually. It was yeah. horrible. It's called it was, not good. It was yeah, not good at yeah, all. Yeah. Anyway, McDonald's found out what they were doing. Had uh -huh. nothing to do with me. Found out what they were doing. Got them to change the mark. And they did. They changed it to M, and they stopped making it red, yeah. to Moss yeah. Burger. Yeah. Uh -huh. They tried to copy Mac. Uh -huh. They were very big on doing that. And they had a Mac Burger first, then they changed to Moss Burger. And had their own little style and everything else, because Mac sued them uh -huh. one. I and see. them one, yeah. Well, they're a far number two at 10%, no doubt and then uh, Loteria at 5%. So, and you who's, know. Who's Lotte? Loteria. Loteria, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you look at that, I mean, you know, why would you get into the hamburger business? And, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I, you know, I, 
I knew that. That's why I was, and, and when you have such a dominant player, you know, and, and this business, chain business, is actually about critical mass, market penetration, those things, and so it was already a saturated uh, industry. When I did Domino's, of course, I was a pioneer. Mm -hmm. I said people didn't like pizza, eventually they did. So, you know, it wasn't like I had a lot of competition, <laughs> you know. But with, with hamburgers, you're, you're talking about a, a very saturated market with a very strong player mm -hmm. like McDonald's. So, um, knowing that, I said, well, maybe <laughs> I, I can do something, right? As I said, it was a third vodka tonic. It wasn't there, there convincing me. And uh, I'll never do that again. I only I go up to two vodka tonics. <laughs> I avoid the third one these days. So if, so it's a business, if it's a business, business, yeah. Yeah. business, yeah. yeah, pleasure. You know, I'll go to five maybe, but you know, uh, business now too. So the um, so we uh, you know started negotiating uh, terms and contracts, all this kind of stuff. And um, then as we signed this contract, you know, uh, March 11th happened, and you know, there's Daishinsai in Fukushima. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, I should be signing this contract. So, I, you know, I started to think about it. And uh, I got a call from Wendy and said, oh, you know, you're okay. You know, you're radioactive. No, <laughs> I'm okay. But I'm wondering about this contract. Oh, no, no, we should go ahead. Don't you think so? And, you know, I said, well, gosh, you know, it, this is a tough challenge because I didn't know how Japan was going to, you know, get out of this thing. It was, it was, I mean, you can remember was, American Club was, was deserted. I was, All the guys were leaving, you know. They called them fly gene. Yeah, I mean, everyone's leaving. The French, leaving. the German left. Well, Some stayed here. Yeah, the, the embassy advised them to leave. They, so, they took know. off. Yeah. It took so, off. So it was, it was kind of like a, a, a dark time. And to but you hadn't gotten the contract. You hadn't signed the contract or done anything by that time yet. I was thinking about it. So yeah. that was in the middle of our, our, our yeah. signing the contract. But then, you know, once you get into a negotiation, I said, oh, what the heck, I'll go with it. So I signed it. And then, um, you know, I'll never forget this. Uh, typical of U.S. companies. Um, all those things we talked about, adaptation and so on, you know, was with, and, and they want to really push international expansion. Well, they changed the president, uh, public company. And the next president says, everything has to be the U.S. way. It has to be the same size, all this kind of stuff. And we we're not, you know, I said, oh my gosh, you know, and I already signed a thing. And that was not included in the contract, you know, just terms and conditions. So. so I said, but, you know, big stores are, you know, tough in Japan and, and you know, and so on. And to get good locations is tough. And that was one of the things, unlike Domino's, uh, uh, Wendy's concept requires what they call A location, high traffic locations. And, and you know, we're already in deflation now. Uh, I did Domino's in the bubble economy, but in deflation, even in deflation, um, everybody wants the A location, whether it's a bank or it's a, a convenience store, a drug store, whatever. Because if you're in the retail business, you can't make money in the B location. The problem is that since everyone wants it, there's no A locations available. And if you get it, you can't make any money on hamburgers. Yeah, if you're selling yeah. Louis Vuitton, Gucci, yeah, yeah, you have the mark, yeah. So, but then you need to ha get to critical mass. So this is like a chicken and egg situation, you know? And then anyway, so I, I made a couple of these big stores. And I said, look, and it, it, was, it was not working out on the bottom line. So listen, we, we got to change. We got to make them small for Japan. I said, this is one of my, you know, localization things. This is like a, a you know, a no-brainer, you know? And, you, you know, th these rents are like high. And we can't get too many of these great locations. So this is also another issue, which was not their issue. But how do we deal with this thing to get to critical mass? And because and, that allows you for purchasing power, for you know marketing and all this kind of other stuff, and recruiting. So um, fortunately, I, I, I knew the, the owner of Suntory, mm -hmm. Sajisan, and we were having a conversation and uh, dinner, and uh, he says, "Oh, you're doing Wendy?" I said, "Yeah, I'm doing Wendy." I said, uh, and he said, well, I have this first kitchen, you know, uh, hamburger chain, you know, maybe we can do something together. And I said, well, yeah, maybe, you know, that sounds like a good idea to me. So, uh, but, you know, we, it was over dinner and over some drinks. So I wanted to confirm that. So I made a point with him. The head office, you know, we had dinner the other night, but you talked about, you know, first kitchen and he had all his executives there, you know. And uh, he says, yes, I, I did. And yeah, you know, I, I think we, you know, it could be interesting. So, um, uh, so I said, okay, let's 
try this thing. So he had about 130 stores in good locations because he, he'd been doing this for 40 years mm -hmm. and localized for the Japanese people, obviously. Um, uh, but for them, it was a decimal point. It wasn't really growing for them. So, um, so you know, you wanted to know what we could do together to, to enhance the business. So we came up with, uh, well, let's combine the brands and combine the, the best sellers of both businesses because I had a couple of stores and I knew what sold here and so on. And um, we'll call it Wendy's First Kitchen. Well, you can imagine Wendy's in the US, what? You know, we're Wendy's, you know, uh, we do $9 billion in sales and we have 6,500 stores in 37 countries, all Wendy's. What's this Wendy's First, first kitchen, kitchen stuff? Right? Yeah, you know, we don't need that, you know. It's like, you know, having a fashion company called, you know, Louis Vuitton and Shida June. You just don't do that. I said, well, that's true. Louis Vuitton and Shida June, I don't know. Does that resonate? But I said, you know, this is the third time around. You, you, you got you to gotta change. So anyway, as I mentioned, you know, they, cha they changed presidents again, uh, public company, third time around. Well, this guy was more flexible. And I was still, you know, I was working on this, you know, when his first kitchen, because now I knew this is the way to, to get, you know, out of the chicken egg situation, give me critical mass, give me good location at legacy rents, because they, they had rented from before. Mm -hmm. And it came along, they had 3,300 people. So I said, wow, this, you know, this will give me people. Because until uh, December of 2019, there was a labor shortage. Even today, there's a labor shortage, even with corona, especially in retail segments. So um, this would give me you know, people that are already trained in the, in the restaurant thing. I just have to train them in the Wendy's way. But anyway, we, um, so we started to talk with uh, Suntory, and um, we actually did a, another market research. You know, <laughs> Not that market research are always correct, by the way, but in this case, um, it, 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 we wanted to know what people liked about First Kitchen, what people liked about Wendy's at that time, because we had a few stores. So it turned out that First Kitchen the, uh, was about 70% female, uh, and um, they liked the fact that a lot of desserts, it was a lower price menu, and it was, it was everywhere in very, very good locations and very convenient. What was kind of one of the issues with First Kitchen that came out of the market research, it didn't have very strong branding or very strong brand image. And no one knew what kind of store it was. It mm -hmm. wasn't like a specialty store. They were kind of all over the map in terms of their menu. Yeah. Okay. With our Wendy's stores, it was 60% male, and uh, our prices were higher. And we didn't have any idle time menus. We only had lunch and dinner. But we had a very clear branding, and everyone knew it was a, a hamburger store. So I said, okay, <laughs> let's put this together, put all the stuff that sells, you know, and so, but what came out also as market research is what neither brand had, which is a kind of the third place that Starbucks has developed, where you have a coffee and you, you have a charging stations for your mobile or your laptop and you spend time there. And that's critical because be between lunch and dinner, you have the idle time and the rents are fixed. So, how do you, you know, also do business with that idle time? And so, we included like having charger stations, a little bit more of a cafe feel. So we put this, you know, interior kind of uh, change there, to to enhance uh, in both the first kitchen, the Wendy's, uh, with with uh, uh, this kind of uh, uh, cafe style, uh, in, you know, portion as well. And the first store we chose was the Rapongi store. And uh, to combine. Yes. Right. And um, so we figured if it did about year on year 100, 120%, then that would make sense. Well, when we did it, it went over 200%. So I said, oh, this is pretty good. But of course, in Japan, you have this novelty effect, and it yeah, settles right, down. But it settled down about 160% year on year, which is qu quite a lot beyond our expectation. But it was in Roppongi. And as you know, that's kind of a unique that's place, a lot of gaijin. Yes. So, yeah. so, so let's take a more typical location, Ueno. And that went up and, and it held at about 130% year in year. So we said, this is good. So then the next step was to buy the whole first kitchen chain and eventually convert it. So that's what we did. So we bought the first kitchen chain from Suntory. They had 130 stores, uh, you know, nationwide here and there. And we, have, uh, we started to convert them. And each time we converted them, you know, the, the sales would, would go up. And, and so that's how I ended up with that. And it is uh, doing well. Yes, uh, so of course, Corona has come and changed and that a little bit, right? That's affecting everyone. Though. But um, 
so it's doing very well. And so, um, but like everything, like with Domino's, by the way, after you know I got it going, one of the things I did, which they didn't do in the States, is I, I was the first one to go to internet ordering. And also, uh, I, I was the first one to develop an app on the iPhone, by the way. Domino's at that time told me, don't waste your time and money on the internet. <laughs> it was my time, my money, my effort. And when I sold Domino's, 60% of our sales was to the internet. And now Domino says they're an internet company. You know, they they, they started afterwards, but we actually started first here. Well, likewise, I knew that you know we should kind of up the bar with with IT on these stores. So you know, tying up with Wendy's is one thing, combining it with another thing, mm -hmm. but taking it to the next level. And and we were of course anticipating the Olympics this year. Right. So what we thought is we'd put in these kiosks, touchscreen kiosks, to order. And uh, it would be in four languages, Chinese, Korean, English, and Japanese. So we started to, if you look at it, so we started to roll out these kiosks. So, uh, you, you know, it, it, can, it can handle multiple uh, languages. And of course, we installed WeChat and all this kind of, you know, Alipay and all these things for Chinese tourists as well. And all these, you know, uh, non-cash payment uh, uh, companies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, in anticipation. But the, the other thing is that um, it also reduced our labor costs because we didn't need anyone with a cash yeah, register. Right. So, you know, um, but we were gearing up. We also uh, uh, developed a mobile app in English and Japanese. And so, so Wendy's on. now, you can order to bring home. Oh, yeah, we always did takeout. You always did takeout. Yeah, yeah. So 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 is that the biggest part of your business now? Well, so, it's, so obviously our, our, our mix changed because mm -hmm. primarily we're like Eden, 80%. Uh, and then take out 20%, but with uh, COVID now, it's 60% uh, eat in and then 40% take out yeah. and delivery. We've tied it with the Uber Eats of the world, the right. MyCon. Right. And so that we're actually lucky because in, in COVID, the idea is take that no one really wants to eat in so much. And so uh, having already a takeout uh, kind of setup mm -hmm. and then just extend that to delivery by tying up with uh, these uh, third party delivery companies, um, for us it's natural. If you're just a typical eat-in store, it's difficult. The other thing that we're very lucky, of course, is that our main business, like daytime, and, and we're not like a pub where we have alcohol at nighttime and so mm -hmm. on. So, you know, our, we, you know, um, let's put it, we're, we're effective, but less affected. Uh, than, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, although, you know, uh, fortunately things have started to come back um, yeah. from, you know, the April-May period where, you yeah. know, Things are really tough. Where do you see things going from here? I mean, you're at this stage right now, and you have a 60, 40%, 40% yes. home, 60% yeah. inside restaurants. What do you think 2021 is going to bring in? 2022, 2023, let's go out to that far. Oh, okay. Well, as I said, so one of the uh, character faults of being an entrepreneur is you're an optimist. So I don't believe that we're going to always have to deal with COVID situation. I mean, it'll get to the point where whether it's a vaccine and mm -hmm. treatment, certainly both, um, though the, uh, the effects, you know, are, are not going to be so severe. Maybe we'll always have COVID, mm -hmm. but we'll have uh, a way to deal with it so that it doesn't affect our normal lives. Because basically COVID is, is so, um, you know, uh, it's really anti, uh, in, my own, in my own opinion, you know, human. Uh, uh, um, you know, it's against human interactions, social, uh, you know, socializing, going out, all the things that we love to do as people, we cannot do because of uh, Corona. And, and, and I think that there's a strong uh, desire for people to come back. You know, people talk about the new normal. I don't know about the new normal. But I know that people want to go back to the old normal, you know, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. And, and so, and we might not get 100% back to the old normal, but there'll be a big uh, trend towards going back to yeah. Oh being able to talk to your friends, you know, right. being able to go Shaking out, hands, yeah, and enjoy each other. I mean, those, those are like natural things which we took for granted, but you know, sure. that's so important now. We realize, become enhanced, yeah, we, enhanced. we have realized, you know, how, what a privilege that was. But it's also part of our DNA as people. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, and I already, um, even without the uh, vaccine or without the treatment, our cells have come up. Because people are saying, okay, look, we're, we're, we can't be cooking at home every day and staying inside every day. We have to be safe. There's some protocols. Mm -hmm. our, all of our stores have, have you know, 
uh, implemented protocol and safety things mm -hmm. like we have here at the Merton Club. That's right. uh, and, and, you know, uh, so people want to come back. People have come back mm -hmm. to a sort of sales are going up. So going to 2021, 20, I believe, of course, you know, there's a concern now that infection rates have come up. And so that would perhaps make a little bit of a damper on, on sales in general in the consumer segment. But I don't think it will go back to the April May things where mm -hmm. it was where you know it, it was such a novel thing and people didn't know how to react. Yeah, that's uh, why it was all. It was a knee jerk, yeah, a knee jerk reaction. Now I think it, you know people understand it you know, a little bit more, and uh, people are taking precautions, and so you know you realize that you know you can't give up your whole life, so you just have to be more cautious. Mm -hmm. And I think that that and as the vaccine and treatments come into place. And as we learn more about the virus, you know, mm -hmm. I think that people want to go back to the old normal. Mm -hmm. So uh, the 2021 situation, uh, in my perspective, being an optimist, first of all, uh, is that I think um, the, the first half will be, you know, what we have now or a little bit, or maybe, you know, because of infection rates going up, maybe a little bit uh, more challenging but one of the things that the, the Japanese government has done is they've kept the Olympics there mm -hmm. they did. in July. That's surprising me because I, I yeah. thought it was just they were going to have to let it And I, I think that's important uh, in many ways, uh, and certainly psychologically. It gives you a goal to say, let's get all of our protocols, safety protocols, with or without corona, with or without the vaccine, rather, so that we can have, get all of us back to the old normal, right. have people watch this you know, spectacular right. event, right. You know, which is the Olympics, From historic. You know, let's not, you know, lose that. And as you know, they're doing a lot of experimentation. They're having, you know, stadiums fill up now and see how that works and so oh, they, they Yeah, are. they are for sports uh, events. But they're not going to try to do the social distancing? They're just going to put them... Well, they're, 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 so they're doing this now with, spo with the sporting events that they're having. Okay. They're, because they're, they're trying to see what, what are necessary protocols uh, for the Olympics, right? right? So they, they're, they're trying to, you know, do this... Uh, real time, you know, with right. real people and see how this can be done. Yeah. Uh, because that goal is there, you know, they, they've maintained that. Yeah. I think it's a smart thing. I mean, so at the end of the day, if, it, if it's like, you know, all, everything's really, you know, terrible at that stage of the game, of course, probably they might call it off. But I think keeping it there, and I think things will actually, yeah. the protocols will be there, even if, say, the vaccine might not be, you know, uh, distributed uh, mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they'll have enough protocols in place and enough um, uh, to kind of people would I think feel assured of mm -hmm. the safety to yeah. come and the athletes would feel safe to participate but uh, beyond that you know the, I think the psychological effect both not only for Japan but for the world to have this Olympics because of this pandemic I think is very critical so and I really believe we're going to have it. I really believe it'll be successful, whatever format it takes. Mm -hmm. Post that Olympics, I think that you know there will be almost uh, a kind of a, a resurgence of consumer spending. I think the economy will get better by then. Certainly, the vaccine will mm -hmm. be more prevalent, and uh, I think that. Um, so, as I said, I'm an optimist. So, I think uh, second half will look good. So, then going 2022 or whatever, I think. Will be closer to the the old normal. Because uh, I've heard yeah. I've heard in different places that they think that someone said they see 2022-23 being almost like a heyday, almost mm -hmm. like a free bubble. That those years up to like twenty twenty three, maybe into twenty four, then one more time. Oh, have you heard so, that? Well, I've I heard something similar to that. that I, I I don't know, um, so I haven't heard that. Okay. But uh, but how I feel. Right. Uh, is that it will be a bubble, but I don't want it to pop. Neither do I, but that's I loved um, uh, the, 80s. the bubble yes. in the 80s. So did I. I thought it was great. I loved it too. And the reason, you know, of course, economy, everything is great, but, you know, a lot of things are great. I mean, like, if you look at Egypt, they, they didn't build the pyramids in a deflationary <laughs> environment. It had to be a bubble, they, they right? It had to be, you're right. You're a right. renaissance. You're right, you're right. You know, All these great you know, things that man has known. Yeah. When we went to the, the moon. You right. know, the issue with a bubble is not, um, you know, first of all, I think it's great. I, I think there's nothing wrong with a bubble. But the issue is, do you go for a soft landing or a hard landing? And in Japan's case, the government specifically went for a hard landing. 
and, and they did everything they could to pop the bubble for a hard landing, increasing all these kind of taxes and so on, and they did. And that's what we've had over 30 years of this uh, downturn. You know, I mean, I went to business school. They said, Ernie, you know, economy is cyclical. They go up and go down. They never <laughs> right. go straight it's down. Right. Yeah, I mean. Ah, but you, you were know. in Japan when you heard that. Oh You're my gosh, you know, they, they, gotta, they gotta rewrite the books. So, <laughs> right. so China is in a bubble, but they're trying to go for a soft landing. Soft they're trying to engineer that, right? Because right. you will have bubbles. But well, the idea is, as I said, bubbles are great, but you know, they will, you know, eventually, you're not going to always have, keep, keep that bubble, but soft line and hard line is the issue, you see. So this poof stuff you talked about, that's well, right. that's Japan. let's hope that this time, it's the Japanese government, it's a slow seat. see, the government will then say, hopefully, in their wisdom, that the last time we went for a hard <laughs> landing was not so good, 30-something years, like, you know? Like an albatross yeah. trying to land. So <laughs> let's, let's try soft landing this time, right? And that's what I'm hoping for. So, you know, and, and you know, this is just uh, basic stuff. I yeah. mean, you know, if you could go back to those, you know, I'd say, well, who likes a hard landing, you know? Yeah. They actually liked it. And then yeah. now they regret it. But, you know, they went for a hard landing. They they, did. Yeah, and, and boy, yeah. it was hard. Oh, listen. Yeah, me, they talking. rewrote all the books in economics. You're talking, you're talking, you know. you're preaching to the choir. And so, you know, yeah. because Japan's economy has faced two things. So we've been in deflation, so one is the economy. The other thing is the, you know, the, the federal deficit, 240% mm -hmm. of GDP. Uh, that's pretty high. <laughs> so, you know, um, so the government their wisdom has said, okay, let's resolve both in one step. So we'll, we'll resolve the federal deficit by increasing taxes. But what happens? The economy shrinks. So then the tax dollars actually shrinks, you know. And, and so they raise the tax and they get less money. Meanwhile, that devastates the economy, right? They, they raise the consumption tax, you know, three to five didn't work, from five to eight it didn't work, they raised eight to 10. You know, you can make a mistake once, but three times. So that, that's an issue. Um, and every time they get less taxes, right? Because the thing is, unless you have a growth economy, you will never be able to resolve the, the federal deficit. So Japan, only Japan, or one of Japan's one strength, it can do a two-step process. Mm -hmm. Because Japan owns most of their debt, over 90-some they, they, percent. They do, yes. Yeah, so it's a left pocket, no right pocket. No yeah, they don't have to borrow from the IMF no or from, you know, anyway. So, so, you know. Thank you, and I've talked to so many people yeah. to tell them that they don't understand yeah. that. Yeah, but 240% of they debt, we, we should be worse that. than Greece anyway. Yeah, but but, but also, it hasn't. But also, too, don't forget, culturally, yeah. Over this 2,000 or 4,000 years of history, Japan has convinced all of its people that they're homogenous. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very obedient to whatever they, the society is told to do. The other countries aren't. Well, that's why they were mass. But anyway, <laughs> so, so you know. That was no issue. Uh, so that was a good thing. So, so you know, um, if a, they take a two-step process, right. they should even reduce taxes, in my own opinion. Grow the economy, mm -hmm. uh, and because tax is a whole other thing. It's a very negative yes, subject, is. but they got to reduce it. Grow the economy, then when they have a growth economy, then, then they can handle the federal deficit. See, and and that that is what they have not done mm -hmm. uh, every time. And that's why we, we've continued down this path of you know, first the worst recession since the war, which I thought was bad. Then we went to deflation, that's which right. is even worse. Yeah. yeah. So and then and we went to Corona. You know, right. you know. Yeah. So there's one thing too. The government is very, very lenient as far as giving out money, but most people don't know how to get it. They yeah. have a lot of money they're giving to people. With the, you don't have to give it back for companies. You don't even have to give it back or at 0.1%. But most people don't know how to file for it. They don't know how to go about it. They're not being educated how to get these funds. But they are here. They most definitely are here. That's just the masses. It's kind of like... Um, when we say in, in different businesses, you say, okay, we're going to give everyone some money back, but they have to apply for it. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah they, they, they do make it difficult. They uh, do, um, definitely. And uh, it's bureaucratic. It is. As you know, so one of the initiatives of the Suga administration is to digitalize the government, and part of that is hopefully make it uh, less bureaucratic, more easy mm -hmm. for things like this. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, it, it, you know, yeah, so there's money there, but how do you get it? It's right. Yeah, and, and, and particularly yeah. if... You're a, a individual small, small owner, yeah. That's the one, those are the ones that need the, the most. The, 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 the paperwork, I mean, it blow you away. They have no clue. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't work. Right. So they have now a Ministry of Digitalization. It happens to be a good friend of mine, the minister, Hirai-san. <laughs> I, I knew him from the old days. 
And is of he, course, he's not a Tokyo Club by any chance, is he? No, oh, no. Okay. And right. and Taro Kono, who is the uh, the minister of you know uh, Ministry of Reform or whatever, mm -hmm. who's also a good guy, and I know him. And the combination uh, there will be to first to make the, the government more efficient, and, and, and of course digitalizing it will allow a lot of things to happen. They can well now that's if the agenda if they are able to do it. You know, and, and also educate the people on how to be able to use this tool. That's the other side because as you know, it's still an analog society. It doesn't matter. You know. <laughs> still can't get in there. Well, you know, so we have an age population, you know, and I'm part of that. Anyone over the age of, you know, 20, you know, can't, can't deal with all this digital stuff. But we're going to have to learn. They're going to have to make it user friendly. Yeah, hopefully. But uh, but having said that, you know, doing it uh, uh, is better than not doing it. So you know that, and uh, we will have to learn. But um, yeah, it's difficult for for the um, for the mom and pops uh, mm -hmm. certainly. That's right. uh, but on the other hand, to be very honest with you, so the amount of money they give you, you know, is also nominal. It doesn't keep you in business. That's true. Uh, and, and so really what they have to do, um, handouts and so on, okay, it's fine, it's, it's a temporary stopgap, but really what they have to do is tax reform mm -hmm. to get the economy growing. That is, is the bigger picture. Uh, Japan tends to be very socialistic, but I think they, they should be a little bit more, it is, a, you know, it should be a, a capitalistic society, it's supposed to be, Somewhere. but it's not. It's it's what it is. It's competitive communism, basically. Yeah, something like that. Socialism, you know. right? Yeah, because they they, yeah. are, they complain about you know kaksa, which is you know mm -hmm. the um, you know the difference between the rich and poor. But we don't have enough, you know, and that's the reason why is because of tax thing. You know, you, the the curve starts for personal income tax very very low and it goes yes, very so steep. Way real steep. Yeah. So the more money you make, the less you keep. You know, and whatever money you keep can't give to your kids because of 55% inheritance tax, right. right? So right. what is your incentive? Japan becomes, for an entrepreneur, a high-risk, low-return situation. In mm -hmm. the event you take the high-risk, in the event you succeed, right. you get a low you return. Right, right, right. You know, so, so I understand high-risk, high-return. <laughs> I understand low-risk, low-return. But, but, but high-risk, low-return, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, not, that's not a good thing. But I've been doing that now for the last <laughs> so many years. And I finally figured out, what am I doing in a high-risk, low-return situation? situation? Yeah. Just to say you've got it. Yeah. Uh, having oh. said that, you know, I enjoy living in Tokyo. <laughs> I mean, all that. Well, so did. what the heck, you it know. Has I, a, it has I, a lot of positives. Yeah, I, I gave up on, on this, you know. I mean, high-risk, low-return, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, I yeah. want to thank you for this. I mean, I've taken a lot of your time. But I mean, I appreciate this more than you'll ever know. Uh. It's been I really good. I mean, I, there's lots of things I'd love to be able to talk to you about, but we'll yeah. have to do that for another time. Sure. Now, I do have a gift for you that um, has nothing to do with what you talked about. And when we do talk, because it's not business, I'll have more than three vodka tonics. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you know, we can do, I think we should do that next time. Oh, I, no, do, no. I do vodka. No, I, do, I do, yeah. Um, yeah, I do vodka tonics. Too. Oh, that's, that's how back of martinis. Now, look, I, got, I brought you this only because I didn't sign it or anything, but I did bring yeah. this for you. Oh. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Well, I saw it on your Facebook, and uh, because yeah. because your older brother's in it. Oh, okay. And your sister-in-law. Ah. And I believe she's your first niece. Okay. Well, that's Lisa. interesting. Because okay. I use Lisa. That's Lisa. Oh, really? And look at the eyes, and you'll know. Well, she, <laughs> she, she's got. And you'll uh, see, you'll see Howard in there, and then you'll see. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You'll wow. see at the table, and I asked them for pictures, and then I had yeah. my um, illustrator. Uh huh. Because you probably see him in there with the dog in the kitchen if you saw it already. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So oh. that shows. Oh, thank you. That's very yeah, special. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that.